As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks very much, Shane. Um, we're going to actually read Psalm 42 and 43, um, and also 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We printed it out uh, at the back, so if you don't have it, do pick it up from the back. Um, I'll refer to them both. But the first part of this uh, talk is actually not going to be me, but it's going to be uh, Arthur. So I'm going to ask Arthur if he can come to the front. Uh, It was supposed to be Arthur and Daisy. They're married. They're both psychiatrists. Um, Arthur teaches at uh, uh, CUHK. Um, uh, And uh, uh, obviously, I'm not an expert here, so I've come, uh, I've asked an expert to come and talk to us about these four questions. What is depression? What causes it? What does it feel like? And why should we take it seriously? It's a topic that should be taken seriously. Um, So let's hear uh, from Arthur this first part. Thanks very much. You hear me, right? Okay, I should stand somewhere around here. Okay, so um, thank you very much for the opportunity to share with you guys what I do for my day job, of course, but I think it's uh, also about this very common mental health problem, which is depression, that I think many of us would have had, you know, gone through a bit of it or know someone who's gone through some of it, uh, gone, gone through depression. So what is it? It is, it's actually the most common mental health problem in the world. So you pick any single year, you do a survey, roughly 6% of the population will have had gone through depression over the past 12 months. All right, in a lifetime, about 14%, up to 14%. And if you do this survey this year, it will be a little bit higher than this uh, in red instead of you know, green or blue here. So it fluctuates according to this um, environmental situation. And what does it feel like? 
Or how do we understand what depression is? You know, these are intertwined you know, questions. So let's put it this way. Depression is a common health problem. It's a health problem, all right? It's characterized by persistent and profound changes in the way we feel, all right? It's not that people with depression will choose to feel depressed or choose to not have faith or choose to not focus or choose to be very tired and lazy. Rather, there's a loss of ability to be otherwise. So there is that inflexible, irresistible, inevitable drive or loss of capacity to have positive feelings, to have energy, to focus on things that we should do, or to have stamina, all right? So it's very difficult, and it affects our mood, the way we think, the way the ability for us to, you know, um, get through problems, all right, and react, you know, to stress or even positive things. We don't react positively because our ability to react positively is lost because of the pressure. And then, perhaps, you know, and many of you haven't known about this yet, it is also a disorder of our body, right? And in depression, I'm going to go into that in a little bit, you know, there are broad physiological changes in our body that feels a little bit like, you know, Diabetes feels a little bit like um, broad similarities with infectious change or inflammatory changes in our body that we have when we are fighting an infection. So it is a medical disorder, all right? It affects the way or our ability to cope with school. It affects our ability to cope with work. It screws up our relationships and then it is the most important or even the final common pathway to suicide. If there is no depression in this world, perhaps there would be no suicide or just, you know, very low rates compared to what we have now. And as I, I touched upon a little bit, if you have depression, you're more likely to have physical health problems. And if you have physical health problems and you have depression, you're more likely to die of your physical health problems because of the depression. So there are lots of studies in different areas that shows that if you have depression and you have something like you know, a heart disease you know, or diabetes, by treating the depression, you are actually reducing the chances that you die of the other medical condition, like a heart attack, like a diabetes. So we can actually prevent a heart attack by treating your depression if you so happen to have the two things together. And it's been also recognized by the World Bank on numerous occasions that depression is one of the top, and if not the top, um, cause of loss of, of economic um, money, to put it in simple terms. So it's a huge economic burden to the society. A little bit like um, going into, you know, how do we diagnose depression, or how do I know that I have depression, and what's the difference from, you know, normal sadness. Now, let's, let's put it this way. Um, usually, negative emotional experiences or, you know, uh, are brief. They are isolated. Like, um, some, uh, all of us would have had some periods in, in our life that we lose sleep for one or two days, and then it's fine. That we feel upset, we feel down for a couple of days, and then we feel better, right? 
or we feel tired, or feel a little bit you know downcast or pessimistic. But for a couple of days or a week, you know, we feel better. It is not so often that all of these things will come together at the same time, all right? And then, worse still, they don't go away. And when that happens, all right, for more than two weeks, um, perhaps it is a health problem, all right? And it is less likely to go away by itself, all right? So that is actually how we diagnose depression when we have persistent and profound changes in our feeling states, when we lose interest, the capacity to be positive, when we can't focus, um, when we feel so pessimistic that even we have thoughts of death, all right, and then the, uh, the biological disturbances like sleep disturbance and changes in appetite, you know, and slowing in our thoughts and movements, all right, then we make a diagnosis of depression. It's a clinical diagnosis. And we don't diagnose by, you know, popping needles in your body or, or doing scans or stuff, you know, these are not for diagnosis, all right. The diagnosis is clinical. Depression is many things. It is a disorder of the brain. Um, I'm not going to show all the funny scans, you know, today. We don't have time for that. But just to let you know, um, it is the disorder of the affective circuit not being able to, you know, hold it itself, all right, to balance the, the, against the stresses and then fight back. You know, that little fight back and you're tipping the balance bit acts, you know, is lost, all right? And that's depression. And you, many of you would have heard about serotonin and neurotransmitters. Yes, these are important mediators of the disturbance in the brain, but they are not the only thing, all right? They're important because they explain the currency of, you know, affective circuits or functioning, and we use them to treat the depression. But they're not the end of the story, of course. And then, and depression is also a, a disorder of the body, as I said, you know. There is a, dis, um, a dysfunction in the immune system that is very similar to what you get when you get the common cold. So if you want to imagine, biologically, deeply, apart from the sadness bit, bit what it feels like to have depression. Just imagine when you had the common cold, all right? But usually it gets better in a couple of days' time, all right? You feel tired, you have pains and aches and everything, you're slow, you can't focus, you want to you do something, check some emails, oh, forget about it, can't do it any longer, you know? What mediates is, is a series of wrong chemicals in the body that, mediate, that controls your, your, your immune system. And in depression, we actually have very similar changes detect detected in our body as well. So it is an, actually a disorder of the immune system as well. And it's a disorder of the metabolic system. People with chronic depression have the kind of you know, you know, insulin resistance or inability to process sugar in the body, like people with diabetes. Not all of them, but similar. So, and then... Recently, scientists even told us that the microbes, in, even the microbes in our guts are not, you know, normal when we have depression, all right? Complex story. I'm going to tell you more on Saturday. Yeah, but it is a physiological disorder. If you look at this slide, and I, I put next to it, you know, any medical diagnosis, they look similar. It is a health problem, and it is a problem that doctors can help. 
Now, usually when I show this slide in, in, in my class to medical students, there's a gasp of breath. Oh, gosh, I need to remember all these. No, that's not what I want you guys to do. The most important thing I want to get across today is as to what causes depression. Depression is not caused by one thing or two things. And most importantly, the depression is not caused by your inability to do something or your failure, your carelessness, your bad character. None of these would cause depression. Even a major mistake you committed in your life, in your business, in your work, would not be sufficient to cause depression. So depression is many things, but it's definitely not your fault. It's important. So in broad brushes, to have depression, you need to have the right set of genes to start with, all right? And then the set of genes um, may not necessarily give you depression. And then you go into a different, a, a, a specific gender. We have a gender, right? Gender will have complicated ways of affecting the risk of you getting depression. It's generally more common in female, but yeah, men get depression as well, right? And there, there is a, some kind of you know, exposure to stresses or li uh, negative life events early in life. It's not necessary but it very often happens, all right? That changes the way your brain grows. And then that might have something to do with your personality, and, and also personality is a, a function of your brain structure and your experiences early in life. Married to the right kind of those of current stresses and adversities, and that will give you depression, all right? So it is not a very straightforward thing to think about, all right? Um, and if you go to ask um, patients or people who have recovered from depression, ask them, actually, do you know why you got depression? They would tell you, I have no idea. I just, you know, lived and faced stresses like everyone else would, you know. My, I didn't you know, suffer especially bad in this, you know, COVID or whatever, but I have depression. I don't know why, you know. It is very similar to the kind of conversation that I will have when I talk to people who got COVID. Actually, I have another study which is about COVID-19 as well. Need all of them told me, I really have no idea how I caught COVID. I wash hands like people with OCD, and I put on masks, and I did everything, but I still got it, all right? So it could feel this way, and to many people, if not all, it's important to understand that depression is not caused by anybody's fault or any single singular incident that you didn't cope well. It is a health disorder, and like all other health disorders, it's a condition from complex origins, all right? And if it happens, the way to go about doing it is to get the proper treatment that you need, and that's a basic right. And... In my clinic, when I tell people of my patients that, okay, I'm, well, have you thought about the possibility that you might be clinically depressed or suffer from this clinical condition? You know, to many people, it could feel like I'm telling them you are suffering from cancer of the lung, uh, you are suffering from, you know, um, some terminal illness, all right? But then I would switch channel and then reassure them that it's actually quite the contrary it sounds very bad that, uh, for a doctor to tell you that you have such a serious condition, all right? But the difference of this from a diagnosis of cancer, cancer is now quite highly treatable, though, for some conditions. 
But for depression, is depression is a highly treatable disorder. It's a highly treatable disorder. And with treatment, most episodes of depression will last for another three to six months. All right, and that's provided that you stay on treatment, and then the doctor is not lazy and not not doing his stuff. You know, if we all do what we should be doing, most episodes last three to six months. And more than 50% of people would respond to some treatment in six months, and then more than three, uh, three quarters in a year. And actually, most of them would have some improvement, if not complete remission, in a year's time. All right. And the biggest problem with depression treatment is still treatment access. Whether you want to get it, whether you get it, all right, whether you stay on the treatment, this kind of stuff will have the most important bearing on on whether people get better from depression. And there's a whole range of things on the menu you can choose for getting your depression treated, from the mildest condition where you can get psychological treatment, self-help, exercise, all right. Combined on that, if you have more severe conditions, moderate to severe conditions, antidepressants would work, would be necessary, it saves your lives, all right? Well, not every single drug would work for everyone, all right? There's a mix and match, you know, a kind of, you know, uh, work is needed in there. So a little bit of insistence on the part of the patients and the family in going back to the doctor, talking back to the doctor, all right? <laughs> It's important. I always tell my patients, you come back from me. You know, uh, you, 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 you are not happy, you know, uh, with the, the treatment. Come back and, you know, seek, avenge yourself, uh, revenge on me, you know. So it's my problem. So you come back to me, complain to me, whatever. The, the most important thing is you go back to the doctor and tell the doctor what is not working so the doctor can keep helping you. So that kind of interaction is very important. And then there's... an important and unfortunate subset of patients who do not benefit from these standard approaches to treatment. So we are aware of that. We're talking about like 10 to 20% of people with depression. They've tried everything, all right, standard antidepressants, and it's not working. Like, yeah. We have new treatments for them now. We have ECT, which is older, and we have other new magnetic, electromagnetic types of treatment you know, help to kickstart certain areas of the brain back into action. Okay, we have newer forms or newer models of understanding depression that inspire new drug developments, and they are being tested and also getting introduced in Hong Kong as well. So there is actually hope. And, yeah, that's actually what I need to say today from the standpoint of the, of the doctor. I really hope to see you guys next Saturday. Uh, Daisy will, you know... Um, Join me on the on the yeah in the seminar as well, and really hope to uh, have more conversations and let you guys know more about this condition and answer more of your questions. So I pass the podium to. Thank you so much to Arthur. Um, before Pastor Hewell comes up to preach, we'll sing a song called "As the Deer." Let's sing the song and remember God who. Satisfies our needs. Let us stand. Let's all stand. As the deer panted for the water, so so long it 
picked up uh, this sheet uh, with Psalm 42 and 43, please do. I'll refer to it as we go through it. Let's pray that God will speak to us today. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God. We thank you that your word can heal us. And Lord, we thank you that you love us more than we can imagine. And we pray that we'll know your love, that that we'll know that you care for us, that you want to uh, heal us uh, through these words. Uh, Lord, speak to us as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've heard, most depression um, is a combination of many different things, you know, genetic factors, uh, disposition, uh, the, 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 how the brain was formed. Uh, and oftentimes, though, as we go through life, something then triggers these things. You've seen, I'm sure, in the news um, these things about how depression is so prevalent in Hong Kong these days, right now. Lots of young people who are sad about the Hong Kong situation are going through depression, or they're just really sad um, right now. And for my family, my cousin uh, committed suicide when he was 16. My my aunt um, has just been sad. <laughs> That's her a depressive state is um, where she is now. For many things like bereavement, uh, job loss, failures, for guilt, these things that plague us, uh, it's there and it, 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 it moves us uh, to this place where we can't get out of, out of it. And for this psalmist, a psalmist uh, Psalm 42, it's actually exile, forcible exile from his home. Take a look at verse 1. I mean, it says uh, there that the song, this song is Song of Korah. Uh, sons of Korah. Korah was a musician. Uh, the, David and Solomon put him in charge of the temple worship. So sons of Korah were probably temple musicians uh, as well. If you look at verse 4, he says he used to go to the temple to sing shouts of praise. He was a musician. In chapter 43, verse uh, sorry, verse. Four, uh, there again, he says, I will praise you with lyre. He looks, go, he looks forward to going back to the temple, to praising God um, with his instrument. But now, chapter 42, verse 6, he's away from the temple. He's up beyond Jordan, in the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mitzer, and which is far away north of Jerusalem. He's not with his worshiping community. He's not there at his home. And it must have been traumatic to lose his home, probably his job, probably his identity, many of his friends, the community, the worshiping community. His enemies are taunting him. Verse 3 says he's not eating. 
His tears, that's what he's been eating. He hasn't been sleeping all night long. And it's coming out in physically as well. Verse 10, he says his bones are aching. If my, uh, my, my bones suffer mortal agony. And it's hard to go through something like this for anyone. But for the Christian, often there's the added burden of spiritual questions. Where is God? Why doesn't God change me? Why doesn't God heal me? What's wrong with me? Is it something? And people often slide into guilt. Maybe there's something wrong with me. My faith isn't strong enough. If my faith were strong enough, then uh, God would heal me. I shouldn't feel like this. I'm pathetic. There's something wrong with me. So he says he's downcast. He says he's like a deer dying of dehydration. Death by dehydration isn't like normal thirst. This is complete disorientation. It's not being able to feel anything, not being able to engage with anything. They can't taste good things in life. Everything is tasteless. Nothing is sweet. And he's at a point of exhaustion. If he came to see Arthur, Arthur might uh, diagnose him with depression. And maybe this is you today. And maybe you know people who are going through something like this in their life. The first thing that I want to tell you is that you're in good company. You're in good and godly company. Many people in the Bible are, I think, depressed. What would be in modern days called depression. Elijah, he had these huge ups and downs. In his down moments, he goes to God and he asks God to kill him. He wants to die. Remember Job, the righteous man Job. He curses the day that he was born. He can't get out of bed. Uh, he, can't, he can't engage with anything. He just wants to die and see God and plead his case. Surely he's depressed. And many of the psalmists, Psalm 42, 43, which is, by the way, the one psalm. Psalm 69, Psalm 88. Psalm 88 infamously ends with this line, Darkness is my only friend. He can't even talk to God. He can't talk to anyone. He feels that only darkness is his friend. And remember our Lord Jesus. Jesus on the Lord in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying, he's so distressed that his uh, sweat turns to blood. And on the cross, I mean, that's dejection, that's despair. When he feels the rejection of God the Father and he cries out, My God, why have you forsaken me? You're in good company of the, the saints of the past. Um, uh, sorry, saints of the past. Uh, William Cooper, Martin Luther, Isaac Newton, Charles Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis. Actually, many of you who are here who are going through the same thing. Certainly, we cannot say depression disqualifies you from salvation. We cannot say depression is just for the weak. These many people, Elijah, uh, uh, Job, uh, Charles Spurgeon, C.S. Lewis, these are bulwarks of, of our faith. And they went through depression themselves. Please know that you are not alone as you go through these times. You are not alone. There have been others in the past, and God is with you. And we can learn, certainly, a lot from the psalmist as well. Psalm 42 to 43. Of course, what we learn here today from the Bible and from this psalm um, will not magically cure you. There's no magical cure for depression. 
It's a complex disease, as uh, uh, Arthur said. It affects our minds. It affects our guts. I mean, we are a unity of body and mind and spirit. Uh, we need to tackle all of this from all those different angles. We're not just spiritual beings. For many severe forms of depression, it has to be treated with medication. Because you can't process anything when you're in that depressed state. You can't engage with anything. And you need medication to even help you to engage rationally with some of the stuff that you're going through. But we do, sometimes we do with the help of the medication, need to go through and ask some questions uh, about ourselves and also help ourselves um, as well, don't we? There are no quick fixes, but it can be healed. There is gradual healing. And spiritually, there are certain things that the psalmist does in Psalm 42 to 43. Uh, what we see here in this psalm is a person who's struck um, with, by the circumstance and who's down on himself and down, he, he, he's sort of, there's self-pity and he can't see anything other than his situation now. But then he gradually moves from that to see God, to hope in God more and more. Well, how does he do that? How does he get there? Well, first, he preaches to himself. He preaches to himself. You can see that refrain that runs throughout Psalm 42 and 45. It's repeated three times in verse 5 and 11 and and, uh, chapter 43, verse 5. My soul, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The first thing that, one of the first things that he does, he talks to himself. He speaks to himself. He preaches to himself. Uh, The famous preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Have you realized that the most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him, so he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment, and I will speak to you. We can either spend all day listening to the thoughts in our minds. Often they're lies. Often they're negative thoughts. They're not good thoughts. Often uh, they're things that the world says about uh, who we are and what we've done, all these things. Or we can listen to these things or we can start speaking back to ourselves. Listen, my soul. Why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. And you might need to preach the truth of the gospel to yourself, don't you? You might need to say, you are forgiven. I am forgiven. The stuff that I've done in the past, I am forgiven. I am white as snow by the blood of Jesus. You might need to, for those who are struggling with shame, you might need to say, I, I am a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I am new in Jesus Christ. The old cannot affect me. That's not who I am. So, for those who are struggling with anxiety and, and uh, worries about the future, you might need to say to yourself, look, I have a loving father. I am much more valuable than the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. I know that my loving father will care for me. For those of you who are struggling with injustice in the world, to say to yourself, God is good, God is just, his justice is being carried out, he's being 
purpose is being carried out, and he will ultimately bring justice to the world. Or if you're struggling with failures, to say, actually, this is not who I am. Failures cannot define me, do not define me. I am a child of God. Who are you listening to? What are you saying to yourself? Are you preaching to yourself? In the midst of our sadness, um, and once again, I know that this doesn't apply to people who are really depressed or going through it, but if you can, fight to remember God. Fight to remember God. And we see this psalmist doing just that in verse 6. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. He's depressed, and so he tries to remember God. And once again, I know that this is hard to do. But fight to remember God. When he says to himself, I will remember you, he actually doesn't do anything more than that. But look at how God rewards him. God has been listening to him. He rewards him in verse 8. God's love comes to him. By, the, by day, the Lord directs his love. Of course, this word is hesed love. Uh, Niels talked about it a few weeks back. The covenantal love, the love that will not quit on us, the, the love that will pursue us. It's that love that has come to him. I don't know in what form. Maybe it was just sunshine outside. Maybe it was just a good night's sleep that he's gotten and he just felt better. And maybe it was a friend who was willing to listen and not to solve the problem, not to make a case out of it, just, just to be with him and to listen. He felt the goodness, the hesed love of God. And God answered even that little desire to say, I will remember God. But often nights are hard when we're alone with our thoughts. But look how God sustains him there at the end of verse 8. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Sometimes when we feel so down, we can't even pray. We don't, we don't have the energy to pray. But what this person does, he's a musician, and God in his grace has planted a song, a song maybe he sang from the past, a song that was a prayer, and that just kept him going throughout the night. And he remembers God. He went to God and again and again. He's fighting to remember God. In chapter 43, we see a real turning point. I look at what he does. He, pray, he prays. He actually prays. He says these words, vindicate me and plead my cause, rescue me. He starts praying to God. Before, so far, he's, he hasn't, he just thought about it. <laughs> he says, I will remember you. But here, he's actually speaking to God. Once again, fight to pray in the midst of your sadness, in the midst of what's going on in your depression. Fight to pray. And if you can't pray, God has given you the words through Psalm 42, 43. Read the Psalms. There are lots and lots of Psalms that will give you the words to pray. And maybe it's a song that you can sing. Maybe you can come to church. You don't need to come. I know it's hard to sometimes get out of bed if you're depressed. But if you can, just make it and sit somewhere at the back of the hall and just listen to other people's prayer. And maybe you can come to us or to to, uh, your friends and say, can you pray for me? If you can pray, let other people pray for you. Lean on others' prayers because God listens to prayers. God wants to answer your prayers. Pray, fight to pray. 
And then there is a real turn in chapter 43, verse 3. He surrenders and he starts trusting God. Take a look. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Thus far in chapter 42 and 43, really it's all about him and his plight and how hard it's been and how good it was back then. And he has prayed. But now this prayer is slightly different. He says, send me your light and let them lead me. What he's doing is he is letting go a little of the past. All the stuff that's happened, he's saying actually that all those things have happened. But now, Lord, please come and lead me. And I'll go wherever you lead me. I will come to trust you. I'm sorry, this book, uh, I just ordered a few copies and they were all sold out um, in the first, cop- uh, first um, service, but I'll put it in the church library. Uh, this is uh, uh, um, Michael Lawson who wrote this book, D is for Depression. This is what he writes. In the Christian life, the bottom line of every test in a dry, desert-like place is this. When God seems absent and everything is wrong, will I still trust God enough to patiently allow him to prepare me for what lies ahead? Will I trust him enough to prepare me for what lies ahead? And he continues, transformation begins when we move from knowing about God to trusting him deeply. There is a moment for, I think, all of us where our faith grows. When actually, the, when it's overwhelming, the situation is overwhelming, and we can't, we can't, we're just sort of at the end of ourselves, and then we let go, and then we turn to God and say, God, I trust you. In whatever I am going through, I trust you. And that's a real turning point when we come to not just know God, but to trust him actively. But once again, there's no magic to this. It's hard work because in chapter 43, after all these progress, I I hope you can see that there has been a turning point. But look how chapter 43 ends. It doesn't end triumphantly. This is how chapter 43 ends. Chapter 43, verse 5. Again, the same refrain that's been repeated. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. It's still a fight. For most people... Depression is treatable, as Arthur has said. You can feel better uh, with uh, therapy, medication, this counseling and praying and preaching to yourself. You can get better. But for some, in this side of heaven, sometimes God might not choose you, uh, choose uh, to make you, uh, make you better. Some people go on with these ups and downs. Some people go on with this down state for their lifetime. I have a friend like that. Um, I also have my uh, aunt, and my aunt uh, who, whose son died. I mean, you can imagine. She's, she's got a little, something happens, she cries. And she's been like this for the last 23 years. And she's done everything right. I mean, she, tries, she has tried to do everything right. And yet, she is at this point. We don't know exactly what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we didn't have time to uh, read this, uh, I'm sorry, uh, but I hope you'll take it out and read it um, when you go home. But this was true of Paul. This is a famous passage about the thorn on his side. 
Verse 7, he says, there was a thorn given in his flesh that was so terrible that he calls it a messenger from Satan given to torment him. It tormented him. In verse 8, he says he went to God and asked God to take it away from him three times. And God's answer was no. God's answer was no. And he wasn't okay. He had that thorn in the flesh all of his life. So I want to say, friends, today, if you're not okay, that's okay. If you have a thorn in the side that you, you are dealing with, that is not going away, that's okay. You know, when God didn't take the thorn away, Paul had to accept this thorn with humility, didn't he? Not only did he have to deal with it, he, need to, he needed to show it. He had to show it to others because it was his weakness. He couldn't hide it. But it takes, I, I, I imagine, I mean, Paul was one of the most gifted men in all of Christianity. But he had to be weak. We also, we also fight often, don't we, to be strong, to hide our weaknesses. This is why I think often we hide our depression. We hide our marriage problems. We hide our problems with kids. We hide with our identity problems, our control problems, our worries. And we deal with all of these things alone. We go to God, but we hide it from others. We don't want to admit to ourselves and to other people that we are weak. And Paul here, God said to him, you have to be weak. You have to be okay with being weak. And that's what you are about. You don't need to be strong because I can be strong. Because my grace is sufficient for you. Pastor Sam Albury tells this, uh, um, tells this story of a woman that he, uh, he's talked to that, that keeps coming back to him. And this woman wasn't coming to church for a week, uh, for a few weeks. And so, but he met her on the street. And when, asked her, uh, when he asked her, why don't you come to church? Well, she said, well, I just need a few weeks away from the church to be better. And when I'm better, I'll go to church. <laughs> For her, church was a place to come when she's better, when she's put together, when she's strong. And Sam says, no, that's not what church is. Church is, so he's a bit of a nerd, he's a, it's, the church is the Rivendell in Lord of the Rings. It's the haven, it's a safe haven when you're struck by the deadly arrow, when you're not okay, when you want help, when you need to be loved and cared for. That's what the church is supposed to be, where you come and say, actually, I need you. I'm not okay today. I need you to pray for me. I need you to walk with me. I need you to listen to me because I am weak right now. But it takes enormous humility to say that. Church, are we ready to be a community that is humble, that is okay with accepting the weaknesses that God has given us to reveal our weaknesses to one another? And can I ask that, can we be a community that's not judgmental? Because often when we say, I am depressed, at the back of our minds we say, well, if your faith was strong enough, you wouldn't be depressed. I have marriage problem right now. Well, if your faith was strong enough, you wouldn't have these problems. We cannot be a community that is judgmental and care for the weak. 
we, it's okay to be weak and we need that humility for ourselves to admit it and to be a grace-filled community. Are we ready to listen, to hug, to be with, encourage, to pray? But I want to say that actually as tough as it is, God has a plan. God has a purpose for the thorns in our, in our life, for that depression or whatever it is. I don't want to say depression is good. It's not good. It's evil. And when you are in that state, it feels very evil. I know. But God still has a purpose. God has a purpose for all of these things. Paul says in verse 7, the purpose for his thorn in the side was for him not to be conceited. God, in his wisdom, knew that if Paul, this enormously gifted man, if it wasn't for the thorn, he would feel strong. He would feel self-sufficient. He, would say, he could go, I could save the world. But God, in his wisdom, gave this thorn to say, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. It was given to him to show that he doesn't need to be strong because God is strong. He doesn't need to be the savior of the world because God is the savior of the world. That he doesn't need to be self-sufficient because God is sufficient and God's grace is sufficient. And that's for all of us. That's Christianity, right? That's the good news of Christianity, that we don't have to be okay, that we can come to God who is more than powerful, more than sufficient, And to preach otherwise, as my friend Mark Mendel says, is heresy. To say you need to be strong because you are a Christian, that's heresy. I was talking to a church member who struggled with depression for a few years. He told me that because of it, he had to slow down. He had to learn the lesson that he cannot be in control, that he's not in control, that God is. Friends, whatever you are going through, I know that it's evil. It feels evil. But trust that God has a purpose, that God is working through it, that God's grace is sufficient for you. We often think Christianity equates happiness, and Christian maturity is smile. But that's not true. Uh, this writer, Zach Swine, who writes about Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous Victorian preachers um, of that time. Uh, and he went through uh, this huge depression. And this is what he writes as he reflects on Charles uh, Spurgeon. Sorry. Uh, he says, Sorrow teaches us to resist the trite, view, uh, trite views of what maturity in Jesus looks like. Faith is not frownless. Maturity is not painless. Disheveled and bedridden amid the jittery and unanswered, this is no necessary sign of wicked, uh, wickedness. It is the presence of Jesus and not the absence of glee that designates the situation and provides our hope. It's the presence of Jesus and not absence of glee that is our hope. Friends, that's the gospel, that Jesus is, the, is present with us even when we don't feel any joy. So let's turn to him. Let's turn to him now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. 
We thank you that we don't have to be self-sufficient, for your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, help us to be a community that accepts our weaknesses, our sinfulness, and your purpose gladly. Help us to be a community that is humble enough to accept it and to fight it together with you and with one another. Lord, help us to be a community that experiences this this grace. And we pray especially for those of us who are struggling with deep depression, that you would draw near to them, that you would help them to remember you, the good news of Jesus. And as they look to you, Lord, we pray that they would find uh, that your grace is sufficient for them as well. Lord, we thank you that we can turn to you. And we turn to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond um, by singing.